a podcast that specialises in homegrown talent. With you as always are myself, Tim Philpott, and our maestro for today, Daniel Nesbitt. <laughs> Thank you as always, Tim, for that grandiose welcome. As the maestro for today, I think I should give you the honour of introducing our topic. Yes, this is the one we've had on the agenda for a while now, and it's yes. going to be all about Tchaikovsky, the man who you probably know from going to see ballets at Christmas, uh, whether it be in the Nutcracker or Swan Lake, uh, the famous Russian composer. We're going to sort of dig into the man, his background, where he came from, what his influences were, and you know a bit about his music as well, hopefully. Yes. And, and also, um, potentially a bit around uh, his, sort of his, his uh, I guess his legacy? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not his legacy, but, but you know, why, why do we know him for who he is? And, yeah. and he's actually quite, quite actually, the, uh, he's actually quite a controversial figure in uh, some circles, even now. Um, um, but um, perhaps we should just kick off with a bit of his, um, you know, start the start. Who was Tchaikovsky then? Yeah, so Piotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, to his Indeed. full name, was born in May 1840 um, to parents who were kind of sort of functionaries of the Tsarist regime, I think you could call them. He was a functional, a fun- yeah. which, which, yeah, which actually is not, not, not a bad true. description. <laughs> yeah. well, I was going to say it's not a bad yeah. description, because we're going to talk about later. But true. Yeah. yeah, so they're kind of like, I'd say they're sort of mid-level, with father especially, mid-level functionary in the Tsarist sort of, you know, edifice. He was yes. out in the, basically out in the sticks. Yeah. Um, he'd had a bit of a military background, but when Tchaikovsky was born in 1840, he was managing sort of a series of ironworks in sort of a regional town uh, in Russia. Um, interestingly, so his mother was the intermediate intermediate wife for him because he had three yeah. wives. Tchaikovsky's mother <clears throat> was the second of those wives. And yeah. I think you were saying yeah, they were quite a lot younger than him as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his wife was 18 years... Uh, Tchaikovsky's mother was 18 years younger than Tchaikovsky's father. Mm. So, uh, I mean, it's quite a big difference. I mean, it, it, this, all, this all kind of comes in because Tchaikovsky has this... Uh, you know, he, he clearly... I mean, uh, historians have sort of speculated that he has some kind of psychological issue about his mother. Um, and I think this all kind of feeds into the general concept that he has of his family life. Um, we were going... Carry on, sorry. Yeah. No, see, um, yeah, well, um, Tchaikovsky was one of seven siblings. Yeah. Um, he was quite close to a couple of them, others not so much. Yeah. Um, those nearest to him age he was closest to, yeah. um, as you'd probably expect. Um, equally, his mother and father, as you said, they're functional, effectively. Um, <laughs> yeah. As in, they were there, they, they were they keeping were the household. Yeah, they were keeping the household, and they were sort of supporting him uh, with food, I assume. Yeah. But but other than that, I didn't really didn't think... That. The, the impression is given that not a lot is done for him, basically. Mm. Uh, at the age of... Sorry, I was going to say, at the age of four, he's sort of given, a, you know, he, he um, some of his other siblings are given a governess, and then the governess obviously is showing him more affection than his mother does, uh, which is a sort of slightly bad sign, I get the impression. Uh, and he had uh, to kind of force his way into the governess's yeah. attention because he was deemed too young to be instructed yeah. by it to begin with, and he insisted. And then by age six, he was fluent in French and German, apparently, yeah. so he's quite a precocious talent, even yeah. in those days. He's, um, well, he, he, is he not... Um, have an interest in music as well. He does, that. yeah, from five. Because I think his his mum was also. Well, they were both his parents were kind of instructed in sort of music and yeah, the arts they because had, they, they had were a kind of background, because yeah. they were basically with this role that they had, which was effectively minor sort of well-to-do people being sent off into a re- very regional place. They had to effectively be able to entertain themselves, entertain yeah. others yeah. as part of like their social calendar. So they were quite often families of this generation, this sort of era were instructed as they were to be relatively musically gifted or talented yes um, and be able to at least play various instruments so there yeah. was a sort of musical background to his family even if it wasn't sort of the the sort of epic talent of Tchaikovsky later life yeah. um, there was sort of musical ability there yeah from the, from the beginning so he I mean, was interested in it from the beginning yeah he was and he had thing. he had a piano lessons from five yeah. um so you know he had that sort of um 
basis in it, but I think the family were relatively not so keen for him to follow it because to be a musician was quite a low calling. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, if, unless you were of the nobility and able to support yourself um, writing music effectively. Yeah. It was you basically was a no-go. Yeah, he yeah. had to be a music teacher, yeah. which was kind of like a lower rung, or, yeah. just, or just basically <laughs> part of an orchestra, which was, again, like a jobbing musician. Yeah. You're not going to win riches and fame through doing that. So yeah. again, yeah. they had their sights set a little bit higher up for him, yeah. which probably wasn't what he wanted, but what they wanted. Yeah. Um, so they sent him off to civil service school, basically, the School of well, Jurisprudence, is that right? Well, this is, they, they did, but he was, in fact, they seemed to want to get rid of him yeah, so quickly. But, but this is what I'm saying, he was, like, it just comes into this idea that he's just basically just a, you know, emotionally abandoned, I mean, you know, yeah. I'm not a psychologist, but it sounds like he's basically just been abandoned mm-hmm. emotionally by his parents. And so, like, they sent him off at uh, age 10, so in 1850, age 10, to begin his preparation for the civil service school. Um, he was two two years too young to get to go to the preparatory school that was attached to the actual civil service school. Yeah. Um, and this was thirteen hundred kilometers away, hundred miles away from his home. Yeah, so yeah. ten year old being sent off, literally across you know, further than the length of Britain, I imagine. Well, it's, I mean, like, it's not like you can walk home. Yeah, so it's it's like yeah. Lunchtime. I'm going to even get home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I was also, how do you get there? I suppose you could take. You probably train yeah, from yeah, some bits yeah, and carriages from other, and then yeah. So yeah, it's basically yeah. a long journey. Very long so. journey. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think this is. The kind of distance is compounded by the fact that his mother died two years into his studies. Yeah. So already he's quite an isolated child in yeah, yeah. You know, away from his family. Then his mother dies of cholera, um, and then he so he comes home. Um, his father also contracted the disease but recovered. So he comes home, but is very quickly quickly sent back to school by his father. Right. Um, and I think the father hoped that his studies would occupy him. Yeah. But it's quite a callous thing to do, I think. For someone who clearly wanted his mother's affection to then basically be sent away from the from the funeral, from, the, from they basically yeah. yeah, from basically the family collective mourning to go mourn on your own, basically. It's kind of horrific, yeah. actually. It's just kind of just just how would you why would you treat your child like this? Mm. But yeah, yeah, it's, and, it's quite um, abrupt. Yeah, and it does. It, although it does, eighteen fifty four. This is where we're in now. So yeah, f- two years into his actual studies, four years after he's been sent away from home. Yeah, and this actual moment does actually bring on his first attempt at serious composing, um, wow. which is a waltz in memory of his mother. Yeah. Um, so this is like the moment where he become very, kind of begins to, through, yeah, yeah, little start yeah. towards his future life, really. Yeah. But in all sort of, generally the, the path for this area still is towards being part of the civil service, yeah. doing his studies. His fr- music really wasn't a huge part of the actual specific education of the school. Yeah. There was, yeah. his father did eventually hire a, pretend, a, a sort of actual tutor for him to give yeah. private lessons, but the, the tutor basically had had a really bad experience in Russia and hadn't really been accepted as a talent. Right. So he told Tchaikovsky's father that Tchaikovsky had no real talent and couldn't pursue a musical career because he wanted, in his words, to shield Tchaikovsky from, <laughs> from being, getting bad reviews as he'd done. So yeah, yeah. his father then kind of dismissed music as a career for Tchaikovsky after that and yeah. redoubled him on the course of being at school. You must be a, you yeah, must be a civil like servant. An official, yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, and so, although it, it, what was interesting about this is that um, this is um, the being being an official in the government is like for for a middle class kind of family, is obviously the way to go. And actually, yeah. in eighteen forty eight, I know this is not this is quite uh, we're, we're in eighteen fifty eight ish around this time. Yeah. But um, eighteen forty eight, part of the reason for this sort of various rebellions about around Europe, especially in the middle classes, was that the middle class. Uh, basically viewed the fact that the civil service and government jobs not giving them what they wanted, so they were sort of you know, pretty annoyed. Uh, but anyway, that's a slight digression. No, it, it's right on because it shows why his family are trying yeah. to get him into this yeah. course because it's actually, you know, even may not be stimulating, but it's still a job yes. probably for life. Well, um, also, yeah, exactly. And, and, it's, and it's sort of, you know, when it, when it comes to, you know, that's, that's sort of the essential thing, isn't it? Because mm. it's only 1850, it's not like you can sort of 
start a Patreon page and get donations from yeah. people on Facebook. Or <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so obviously music's basically out after the tutors, yeah. um, which meant not so ringing endorsement of Tchaikovsky's talent. Yeah, yeah. Although he does kind of supplement his musical development by going to operas and concerts with his friends at school. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there is that little bit of of musical outlet for him. It's funny, isn't it? It's like it's like he it's like this sort of uh, this. Um, um, burning sort of vision or some kind of magnetic attraction that he has towards it and yet he's being forced down this mm. uh, slightly boring it's, it's the classic I think for dichotomy that almost everybody has in their lives we have this sort of this is your dream yeah. and this, this is what you must do yeah. in order to survive this is the secure Practical. future but this is what you might enjoy yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is yeah I mean um, perhaps uh, yeah <laughs> but, yeah but um, yeah yeah so yeah, as I said, he's being forced down this route, and yeah. then you know, this kind of culminates in 1859, yeah. uh, June 1859, where he graduates from the Imperial School of Jurisprudence in yeah. St. Petersburg, to give it its full title, and becomes a fully, you know, chartered, effectively, civil servant at the <laughs> Ministry of Justice, yeah. um, which he, he goes up the first few rungs quite quickly, yeah. um, but then kind of stalls a little bit. Yeah. And before we go on to his sort of wider... Yeah. You know, look into the world we're going to give you a bit of background as to yeah. the wider world itself what was Russia yeah. at this time in the 1860s well I think indeed, indeed yeah and, and actually this is, this is this is actually fundamental I think to the Tchaikovsky story because it's kind of we've got this bit we've, we've, we've sort of given we've covered his early life and how he I think it was like 19 by this point so his early yeah. life is just kind of covered yeah, by this uh, enduring love of, uh, or attraction to musical uh, and you know um, adventures basic musical things and then the more practical uh, momentum, which is pu- pushing him towards something else, basically, which he which is not necessarily so passionate about, um, and this is, I think, part of the problem here is that Russia has, for a long time, been its own music has been kind of either suppressed or uh, stunted, basically, by the Russian Orthodox Church, which didn't allow Russian um, music. Basically, it was sort of like you must keep to the traditions of the church and not create your own music. So, mm-hmm. But the outlet for creating creating music and new art was actually usually from the Western culture, from Western tradition or from other traditions imported. But then all this changes in the mid-19th century, essentially. Uh, 18, uh, in the 18, so Alexander II uh, has this, I suppose it's like an epiphany after the Crimean War that we must make Russia a modern state again. Because Russia got, uh, although there were, obviously, the, this is the, famously the Charge of the Light Brigade incident, um, Russia was quite comprehensively defeated in a home game. Defeated in the battle as well. Indeed, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, a home game at the, uh, in the Crimean War um, and was invaded by France and Britain, basically, and, and um, also the Italians, but that's aside, um, defeated. Um, and then, so Alexander II decided he was going to modernise the country, he was going to industrialise the country. Um, so this is like the biggest kind of possibly the most significant version of central planning of industrialisation possibly ever. Called it a um, great leap forward. Indeed, indeed. Or indeed, actually, they call it the Great Spurt. Oh. Um, in um, 1860, obviously abolished serfdom, as we covered in uh, one of our other episodes. Um, and then there was a Polish rebellion in 1863. Uh, Congress Poland, which was the Russian part of Poland given to Russia after the Congress of Vienna in 1815, after the defeat of Napoleon, uh, was basically sort of suppressed and Russified and this Russification process took place all across Russia to inspire greater loyalty to the Tsar and to, well, make the country into a, what they perceived to be a modern country. Um, for instance, they sort of <clears throat> uh, banned speaking of Polish and uh, Belarusian in public places, 
banned Polish, ex ed uh, Polish education and actually banned the teaching of Catholic, um, you know, Catholic sort of uh, religion, I guess, um, across all the areas of Russia that this was relevant to. Um, but then there was also the internal aspects of this, so domestic reforms, which were to uh, stimulate a uh, a Russian, uh, you know, a homegrown, <coughs> a homegrown Russian culture and nationalism. It's all uh, sorry. Right, it's all reminds me a bit of um, in War and Peace, which was published around the same time. Yeah. Um, obviously, Tolstoy's War and Peace. All like you in the early chapters and the sort of the early bit of all the Russian nobility are speaking French. Yes. Very kind of Frenchified. Yeah. But then yeah. with Napoleon's invasion and throughout the book, they slowly yeah. become more Russian and they start taking a Russian dress and Russian yeah. attributes and Russian outlooks. So yeah. it's kind of like within the book. You yeah. can trace this process of almost trying to bring Russia's own culture out of it. Yes, and then, is that absolutely you know, key? Because yeah. sorry, go on. No, that's it. Yeah. That's just so, but, but um, one of the really fascinating parts of this is that basically there was no Russian culture uh, because Russia was largely poor and kind of like rural, whereas Poland, which had just been taken over, all the nobility of Poland then went into the Russian court. Uh, so the, basically, the Russian court was all Polish, and they're all as you say, speaking French or Polish, um, when Polish was banned, so they spoke French instead. Um, and they they were sort of, again, the attempt was to try and Russify them, mm. make them Russian. Um, so it is a really kind of strange process, but that's, you know, that's obviously where they're going with this. Um, and um, and part of it, obviously, is cultural. So they decided, well, we don't have enough music that's Russian, so we're going to create the uh, Russian Musical Society yep. uh, in 1859. Um, to stimulate homegrown Russian talent. They brought in a load of composers who are well-known around the world, ironically, um, in order to stimulate homegrown Russian talent. Um, and one of these who enrolled was Tchaikovsky. Yeah, and I think this is quite, this, yeah, where we join up with him again, it's quite yeah. an interesting moment, in, as you said, in Russian society, also Russian music at the yeah. time, because there's kind of two tracks to how you make it great in many ways. Yeah. I think one track is make this... Make Russian great again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. One, one track is this... Russian Music Society conservatories idea. Yeah, conservatories were, as you mentioned, kind of imported from the West. Yes, um, as ways of effectively indoctrinating and teaching younger people how to be good at music and how yeah. to put together compositions. Yeah, um, and this was kind of pushed forward by members of the court and yeah. people like um, Anton Rubinstein, who was a big yeah. Russian composer at the time, who was ran the St. Petersburg Conservatory. Yeah, but against those were a group of composers and musicians called the five or yes. in another term I saw the mighty hand yeah, which yeah, I kind of like a bit or the mighty five or the mighty five oh, yeah. it is, uh, uh, <laughs> and also <laughs> the five mighty oh, yes. <laughs> sorry no, um, so they kind of like came with the opposite view which was yeah. Russia already has this music which as you mentioned was suppressed by yeah. the orthodox church and they're like well why do we need to import western ideas and western ways of doing yeah. things when we've actually got our own stuff we could just be drawing from and bringing to the fore so yeah. they came from a more sort of We'll go back to our roots, but we also won't. Yeah, it was kind of like, kind of like. Um, so they had, they had, they did have one, one big man, big name was Mikhail Glinka. Yeah, and also folk music and exotic harm, like all this kind of different types of, mm. uh, sort of, uh, I suppose from the bottom up type. Yeah, type and of it was like they yeah. often went east, whereas like yes. in, further into like the uh, more oriental territories of Russia yeah. to bring stuff in, rather than Rubinstein, well, as Rubinstein yeah. and his people went west. Yeah, and they often went from almost like a self-taught non. Um, structured approach to creating and learning music yeah. and they you know Rubinstein, Rubinstein kind of um, had a go at them for being amateurs and they had a go at yeah. him for being indoctrinated western yeah. running dogs but then, then this is yeah this, then, this is this is the classic this is the classic Russian schism isn't it yeah which I don't think is still this is still like not really even maybe even today being sort of uh, reconciled is that obviously Russia spans 
not only Europe but also well into the east of the uh, of the you know, world hemisphere, so to yeah. speak. Um, and uh, this sort of constant friction in between the two, mm-hmm. which manifests itself in Russia as a sort of slightly schizophrenic kind of thing. Yeah, Even though the Tsar's, um, you know, uh, symbol, the sort of two-headed eagle, one looking west and one looking east, is, is like, you know, still has that. Well, yeah, it yeah. symbolises that kind yeah. of schizophrenic. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so as you said, um, Rus- Russian music society, musical society was there. Tchaikovsky enrolled in its classes. Yeah. Um, in 1861, so this is yes. three years after joining, after graduating. This is him now learning the basics of yes. actual composition and music. Yeah, um, music theory. Music theory, yeah. Which he didn't have before, I guess. Exactly, yeah, the building blocks yeah. of actually how to put all those different bits together. Um, and then in 1862, he enrols in the St. Petersburg Conservatory in its first class, yes. effectively, so yeah. under Anton Rubinstein, who is quite important in his development, but also it's quite important to point out that although Rubinstein was brought in to kind of bring about this revolution in Russian music, he was quite conservative, so yes. he brought in Western ideals, but he didn't like innovation. So the five, yeah. although they weren't maybe learning in the, in the sort of, the way you'd say is being a progressive. The academic Yeah, the sense. academic way, they were being more progressive than him, because yeah. they wanted to bring in new and innovative ways, whereas yeah. Rubenstone, the only thing he was very innovative about was how to bring the conservatories into Russia yeah. itself, and he kind of didn't like his students going against him or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, showing this, this innovative spark. I mean, it, I mean, there is a, I mean, it's not necessarily just him. I think, I think the, um, because the whole faculty and the music was for the first time being taught in Russian, there was a sort of mm. slightly authoritarian air to the whole thing. So yeah, I think, I know what you're saying. Um, do you think, uh, so I, I think also, this is also partly where Tchaikovsky got a, got a flavour of the European principles of music and became Sort of well, yeah, this is where they. Yeah. This is definitely where he started it, and then he was quite lucky actually because he was able to travel quite as you know, as yes. he went through his life. If you go through his life, he travelled quite widely as well throughout, partially through his you know his studies, partially through his work. He was able to travel to all these different European capitals, hear the music, yeah, speak to the people playing them. So he could be he could be this sort of bridge between having a Russian background, but also being able to go into the West and yes. learning all these bits and pieces. Yeah, um, but you know. He is. He basically in eighteen sixty two. He he chooses to enrol, and he chooses the sort of music over the over his place at in the civil service. Yes, um, and it's quite an interesting point because he we'll come into a bit later in terms of his actual personal life. But he had been quite a dissolute um, youth um, whilst right. he was at the uh, during the civil service, and he kind of led almost a hedonistic lifestyle in terms <laughs> of just seeking pleasure and fun. Yeah, which maybe shows that he wasn't being stimulated by his work well, was yeah I, mean, I think I think this sort of comes about this kind of hedonism is almost like nihilism mm. uh, and this is kind of the period where it's like well what is the sort of um, I mean when, when <laughs> I mean, it, it tends to be uh, it tends to come you know if, if you've been abandoned as a child and everything's all a bit kind of like you know where is your anchor in your life and this kind of thing I think yeah see where he's coming from mm. basically yeah yeah, well, that, I think this is yeah. indicative of why he, doesn't, he yeah, clearly yeah. doesn't like his role, but he clearly finds another outlet in yeah. music again. Yeah, yeah. And by 1865, he's graduated from the conservatory yeah. uh, in St. Petersburg. But he's actually offered a post at the Moscow Conservatory yeah. by Anton, uh, Anton's brother, Nikolai Rubinstein, yes. who has basically <laughs> set up his own Moscow Conservatory. And so yeah. Tchaikovsky goes there to start teaching. Yeah. Um, but it's also around the time he starts running into, majorly running into problems with his, his old tutors. Because he starts effectively writing his first symphony at this time, yeah. and he gets fixated on the idea of having it premiered in St. Petersburg, and to have it premiered in St. Petersburg, which he sees as the, like, the centre of Russian music at the time, he needs Rubinstein to basically conduct it and uh, accept it as part of it, and Rubinstein did not like it because it was a bit out there, yeah. it wasn't entirely in keeping with his Western 
ideas because exactly. he did bring in this Russian yeah, bit and yeah. he did bring in a bit of innovation um, and so they kind of basically said yes but we wanted all these cuts to it and all these changes which obviously Tchaikovsky didn't like so yeah, it's yeah. kind of showing um, straight tension. away the tension yeah, that yeah. exists within Tchaikovsky and that yeah. you know, he is a Russian and he yeah. does like Russian he wants to be innovative in yeah. his ways but also he's running up against the sort of establishment the now the academic yeah. tradition yeah yeah, yeah. And the academic yeah, tradition yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, also, I mean, the, I guess the reason, obviously, is because St. Petersburg at the time was the capital, and mm-hmm. Moscow was kind of like a, like, the, yeah, where is Moscow kind of thing. Obviously, we know now, obviously, Moscow is now the capital, but yeah, is indeed, indeed. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but but he, but he did eventually get his. I mean, it was played in the Moscow Conservatory, you know. Uh, yeah, it was in '68. Yeah, which is quite a long time afterwards. Yeah, but, it's um, first complete performance. So, like, yeah. bits of it were were played. Yeah, from eighteen well, 1866, he began for his work on it. Yeah, 1868, he was given his first complete performance. Yeah. Um, and I think this is probably a good moment to actually dive into a bit of his non-musical bits. We're yes. going to come back and talk about sort of like some big points of his musical career later. Yeah. But there's a whole like sort of interesting element around his personal life that I think needs to yes. be discussed. And 1868 is quite a good moment to do it. Yes. Because um, this is when he actually first proposes marriage yes. to somebody. Yeah. And it may have come as a bit of a surprise to his family because he was very... He was clearly homosexual as well. Yeah. Um, so... Part of his hedonistic lifestyle we mentioned um, before he enrolled in the St. Petersburg Conservatory had been in this sort of, I think you could loosely term it as in within the sort of like gay community within yeah. St. Petersburg, which was kind of, it wasn't out and out repressed, but it was definitely not seen as like a, yeah, something you, you yeah. we want to shout about or... Um, yeah. And it was, it, I mean, it was considered illegal by the government, but... It was, yeah. but it wasn't like they weren't yeah. hunting them down. No, like, um, yeah. like especially, yeah. They were, they were, yeah. Yeah. So he was quite relatively open about it. And like the people he was associating with, were even more open about it. Yeah. But like, still, it wasn't exactly a something that was encouraged by his family, especially because one of his brothers was also gay. Yeah. Um. And so, in eighteen sixty eight, um, he proposed marriage to a Belgian soprano called Desiree Artaud. Yeah. Um. Potentially as sort of like a an attempt to bring himself some sort of yeah. respectability or some sort of showing that he you know he had a normal personal life, which well, might help him in his yeah. future career. Yeah. 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 Um. In fact, they'd met when she visited Russia in 1868. Um, he proposed marriage. Um, and she was a sort of big celeb at the time. Was she right? was, yeah. She was on, um, on her tour of Russia. Her yeah. mother initially resisted the marriage mm-hmm. um, because... Her mother, sorry. Sorry, yes. Her mother, yeah. Her mother, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, her mother. Yeah, I said his mother. Yeah. Maybe we should try that again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's uh, fine. Yeah. So her mother initially resisted the marriage um, because she'd been informed about his precarious finances. He's effectively at this moment just a teacher and kind of like a... Yeah. Uh, a wishful uh, composer um, and sort of his family background which wasn't you know the highest of the high effectively yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was five years younger than um, Desiree was, Artaud, yeah, yeah. and she also may have heard rumours about his, his homosexuality yeah. I'm not sure about that but yeah. um, also Tchaikovsky's father was very in favour of the marriage um, yeah. potentially saw it as a way of his son putting to bed any rumours about him potentially or yeah, you yeah. know and also she was again a big celebrity so potentially could be a good addition to the family yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but the main issue really was that neither of them wanted to compromise on their careers because she had a you know a big career at the time she didn't want to effectively just be supporting his career yeah. um, and have him as a sort of anchor dragging around behind her yeah. equally he didn't want to give up his music to just follow her around the, con- the continent on yeah. the tours yeah. um, Nikolai Rubinstein obviously his sort of boss and friend and patron advised him that the marriage could mean he would be forced to give up his career and yeah. composing because obviously he's been moving around all the time he's not really making these connections or having time to actually yeah. write stuff yeah. and so in the eventually the, she broke off the engagement and married someone else so that was the end of that oh, wow. 
Um, although apparently Tchaikovsky was very upset about it at the time. Yeah. They were amicable later in life, and he right. wrote six songs for her. Yeah. Um, and yeah. He said they met. She was like, oh, and obviously he was a big composer then. Um, he then offered to write one song for her. Then decided to write six songs for her because he really, he, he remembered her different ranges she could do, and then delivered them all to her. So yeah. clearly it ended nicely for both of them. Uh, but I think you had a quite interesting. Well, yeah, theory. Gonna, uh, well, look, quite a lot, quite a lot of made, is made by historians about um, Tchaikovsky's sort of a relationship with his mother and why this might have. Because quite a lot of his music is supposedly about his emotional, yeah, the emotional rollercoaster ride that he's going through, mm. possibly stemming from this relationship that he had with his mother. And uh, it's just interesting to know that uh, his mother was an you know, entertainer, kind of tr- sort of keen to, keen to keep people happy kind of thing. Uh, and then this lady comes along who is not only five years older than him, uh, but also a sort of entertainer and has many similarities to his mother in the sense that, you know... Uh, um, she's clearly at this point his social superior in many ways mm. um, so he's sort of got this quite weird relationship uh, it's just a point I want to yeah, it's raise obviously, yeah. obviously we can't you know, it's just speculation but it's just mm. commenting on what her There's story is yeah. and yeah this also as we went back to his homosexuality also may have pushed him to try and get this sort of veneer of respectability yeah, 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 about absolutely. Him, I, I, but I think, I think yeah I think it's essential because I think his brother was doing the same yeah, no death. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of his brothers is gay as well. But weird enough, I read here his brother formed a very odd attachment to one of his pupils, as in one of his yeah. young, very young pupils. Who yeah, now, which is a bit creepy. Um, but again, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. So um, yeah, from that sort of first proposal in 1868, uh, we move on four years to the first meeting of Tchaikovsky and his future wife. So yes. although obviously. He is gay. He knows he's gay. He is still he's still not exactly hugely sort of at peace with it at the moment. Yeah. Um, and in 1872, he meets a lady called Antonina Milyakova, mm. um, who was younger than him. Members of sort of a relatively similar family on the same on the social scale. Yeah, they yeah. were they weren't poor, but they weren't overly wealthy. They were kind of gentrified, but they weren't like the very top scale of of anything really. Yeah. Um, they met through her brother um, and his wife, who were friends of Tchaikovsky's, and they met yeah. at their flat, or their apartment, effectively. Yeah. She later said that she had no real knowledge of his musical ability or growing fame. Yeah. Sorry, you're going to say something there. Uh, I was going to say... Uh, no, sorry, no. That was a bit... I was going to say for later. Okay, cool. <laughs> we'll look forward to that. <laughs> it's obviously really insightful. Yeah. 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 He clearly sort of liked her... Maybe just socially to begin with, because he invited her to the premiere of a piece of his music at the opening of the Polytechnic Exhibition in Moscow, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but then, for the next few years, the next um, five years, in fact, their sort of relationship is confined to brief encounters and chance encounters. Because she's studying, um, sort of, to be she's a music teacher yeah. for um, sort of for a family yeah. and various families. She's studying around the school that he's teaching at, yeah. effectively. So they're kind of like. They can't. They kind of bump into each other and they see each other every now and again. And then, in 1877, she sends a declaration of love to him, um, yeah. which she may have been brought on by the fact that there'd been a sort of re- a family member had effectively died. Yeah. Some money had basically trickled down to her, which may have then been able to give her a dowry, right. uh, which is all like independent dowry. She yeah. could yeah. effectively present it to someone without her family <laughs> effectively having to pay it for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she'd have that sort of more independent things. And she sent a letter to him. Um, Saying that she loved him, she claimed that she basically loved him sort of quietly for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then 
kind of it escalates um, in terms of apparently there was a threat of suicide from her to yes, force yeah, Tchaikovsky yeah, yeah. into meeting her but this has also been said this is a bit overplayed by some because in Russia at the time there was a, a fad of things called letter books which basically contained effectively model letters for different situations right. um, which you could copy bits out of and insert bits <laughs> into <laughs> if so you nice. didn't have the like emotional range or like potential like ability or yeah. you know, understanding of how so you're meant the, to do these things. So which, the equivalent of, uh, of Google for uh, kind wedding, of, wedding speeches. Yeah, kind of, like yeah. And it's like, or Hallmark cards. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, you know, emotional development isn't like top scale on in terms yeah. of actually in the 19th century. So yeah, people yeah. do need a bit of help with what they're doing, especially, <laughs> especially a woman proposing to a man effectively. Yes. You know, and so she, if there's a, and these letter books did include sort of overblown language about yeah. suicide and about you know, love, loving till death and yeah. stuff. So there's the yeah. theory that she probably actually took it from this. Um, Either way, they met. Tchaikovsky then... I've got another, another yeah. snippet of info. I'm not sure whether you're, uh, you're going to mention, but um, Tchaikovsky was actually working on a piece at the time, yeah, uh, and he became, imbro- yeah, became so ingrained in it that he, he became identified with one of the... One of the is it Tatiana? Uh, one of the characters within the piece. Do you know what the piece's name is? I can't remember what the piece's yeah, name is. Yeah, it's Eugene Wanjin. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to say that again? Sorry. Eugene Wanjin. It's um, an opera. It's yeah. probably his most famous operas now. Yeah. In a sense. Based and, on a, um, po- a long, long poem by Alexander Pushkin. Yeah. And he didn't want to be seen as the villain, which he had clearly perceived within this opera. Yeah. He was it's, it's basically, yeah. It, it's, it is a weird, um, it's a very weird like coincidence because yes. effectively the situation happens in the same way in that the, char- the main character, Eugene or Yevgeny, um, effectively gets a letter from a slight acquaintance mm. declaring her love for him mm. and then treats her very badly, mm. uh, goes on to treat her very badly, which is effectively the exact situation that had just happened to Tchaikovsky, a sort of a, a sort of limited acquaintance sends him a letter. letter and then, blue, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Blue. And, you know, this is, yeah, partially when they meet, this potentially played into his, like, mad sort of situation he was embroiled into yeah. in his own mind that he didn't want to be this, you know, hurting her yeah. as he did. Also, still got there on the spectre of the horizon his homosexuality, which he's still not exactly happy with, yeah. still potentially trying to reach for some sort of respectability and yeah. at least have that veneer of respectability around his private life until, yeah. you know, he's yeah. married in all Russian, yeah, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. Well, I think, I think you know, I mean, uh, in the 19th century, I think it was kind of almost required, otherwise it yeah. was like, you know... What's wrong with him? Yeah. And apparently that's why you found so many um, homosexual people joining the clergy, because right. um, yeah. obviously if you join the church, there was less of an emphasis to get married. Yes, obviously yeah. the Roman Catholic Church, no, no question of it, but yeah. also... Like Church of England and other types of things, there's less of a push yeah. to get married. Yeah. Um, so that's apparently why yeah. there were more people in those days who were gay during the clergy. Yeah. Which again must be a terrible situation because they're going to magnify the yeah like just every, all the all the issues. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Anyway, that's an aside. But um, yeah. So effectively, after the the situations of Tchaikovsky basically getting um, embroiled into his own writing and her potentially her getting a bit overblown about the whole thing, yeah, yeah. they meet. Um, he then promised after just a month of exchanging letters, they meet. Tchaikovsky ex- like proposed effectively and formally proposes and promises in his term brotherly love as opposed to actually yeah, yeah, romantic companion, love, companionship yeah. and partnership kind of uh, yeah yeah yeah. 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 Um, it's an yeah, absolute disaster. It is an absolute disaster. Um, so they get married again very quickly. Um, so again, it's just a month or so after the proposal they get married, um, and. He very soon, very quickly regretted his decision. So 20 days in, the marriage still wasn't consummated. Mm. It's unclear whether uh, Antonina actually realised he was gay when she married him. Mm. There's theories that she just didn't understand the concept of it because it wasn't really spoken about in Russian circles. It's not something you really 
prepare yeah. your daughter or female relative for. Yeah. And you and she just didn't understand what he was saying when he said yeah. it, or she misconstrued his brotherly yeah. love point. Yeah. yeah. Um, or she just suppressed it, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. because she loved him so much. Either way, it was a terrible um, situation to be in because she effect- obviously went into it thinking she was going to have the traditional Russian marriage yeah. of effectively marriage. She would have those children yeah. and be sort of the homemaker, which clearly wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, Tchaikovsky then left Moscow after a few days, um, went to stay with his sister for a month, came back, stayed for 12 days, yeah. and then just left forever effectively. Faked a, faked a nervous breakdown to go to St. Petersburg and recover, yeah. and then just never came back and right. lived with her again. When you say faked a nervous breakdown, yeah. it sounded like he might have actually genuinely had one. Well, this, everyone, yeah. everyone yeah. thought he had one, but okay. then they, their various letters were discovered to show that he wasn't actually suffering from one. It was just something right. invented to get okay. out of the situation. Yeah. Um, and so just for years afterwards... He was just in the wilderness. The rest yeah. of it, he was, he was in the wilderness. <laughs> she tried to, like, ask him to divorce several times. Right. Um, he refused. And then he also, we also potentially said yes to divorce, but also... The only grounds for divorce would be infidelity, and the emphasis would on would be on her to then perjure herself to say she'd been yeah. unfaithful to him, I see. which would have then ruined her reputation. So she didn't particularly want to do that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. basically, it was just a horrific situation where two people didn't love each other, didn't want to be married. Yeah. Eventually, just being trapped in this marriage, which um, basically became an albatross around both their necks. Yeah, um, they in, initially he did give her a pension, which varied between a fifty and a hundred rubles a month, uh, and then he cut her off um, because of her. Um, behaviour effectively yeah, in yeah. his views of being sort of over the top um, she during his sort of um, wilderness years as he says effectively of just ignoring her that is a huge pension by the way yeah. that, is enorm- that is enormous amount of money because I've got here a minor official in the Russian government would earn three to, three to four hundred a year yeah yeah that's pretty generous it is generous but I mean the, also the other uh, thing that it did come in irregularly and vary in yeah. its amount um, so there was never I mean it was generous but also it also was inconsistent yes. and it didn't yeah. kind of been exactly nice for her it was almost like yeah. 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 Um, yeah but in his sort of absence she did go on to have a lover and have three illegitimate children um, yeah. yeah which again I feel really sorry I felt when I first heard about it and read yeah, about no, it no, I no, felt sorry for him I, I felt really <laughs> I felt bad for him because I Thought that she was sort of the guilty party and sort of pushing him, and then mm. I started reading from her side. Her side, it sounds absolutely dreadful. So she had a relationship with this lawyer, who apparently appears to have been abusive towards her as well. Mm. They had three children, all of which she couldn't support, mm. um, and so she had to give systematically to the Moscow Foundling Hospital. Mm. Um, she petitioned Tchaikovsky to adopt at least one of them so that it could be supported, but he said no, even though he he blamed her for putting it in the Foundling Hospital in the first place. Yeah. So at one point he was effectively, you know, yeah. going her for giving the child up, but then also not supporting it. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, um, not, I mean it's not, I mean, in complete fairness to the guy, okay, this is all completely twisted up, so we don't really, there's no sort of, no one comes out of this. No one comes out of it either way, but I think he's... But I, I can understand why one want to support somebody else's kids, let's be honest. I do understand that, but I also <laughs> feel that if you're going to do that, don't have a go at her for not being able to support yeah. it. And then basically getting on a high horse about something when you can do something about it. Well, I mean, so either yeah. you, either yeah, I guess you, so, yeah. you don't criticise her for having to give the baby the baby up, and then say no to supporting it when you can support it. Yeah, but, but, but why? Why was the child born in the first place? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, because he left her and refused uh, to give her a divorce. No, I, 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 then, but this is this is what I'm saying. It's it's a very tricky. And was also cutting her off from her. Yeah, but as well. why why isn't the lawyer supporting him? 
because he, was, because he had an ongoing health condition that um, right. had to pour a lot of money into okay. to keep them to keep both him and her. Okay. That's why they had to give the children in the first place because yeah. they were both yeah, yeah. They're both pretty ill, so he okay. was often out of work. She was having to nurse him and try and get money as well. A lot yeah. of money went on paying their medical bills. Yeah, because that's why she gave the children up. It wasn't they yeah. didn't like them or anything like that. No, no, no. I realise that, but yeah, okay. Either way, so no one got yeah. out of it well. Yeah. Um, eventually, he seems to experience some later guilt about what he'd done. Uh, did yeah. the extent that is the financial aid. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, after his death, um, he left her a pension of 100 rubles in a month in his will, yeah. which was good, particularly him. She moved to live, live nearest to the site of his grave, weirdly enough. Right. Um, but then after this, she basically just degenerated um, into what is kind of now would be the diagnosis of paranoia. Well, it's um, quite, yeah, I mean, as we said, it's quite a messed up situation. It is. Yeah. And then she effectively sent the rest of her life in a psychiatric hospital or yeah. various psychiatric hospitals. Her brother, Tchaikovsky's brother Anatoly, intervened at one point to get her moved into a better institution. Mm. Um, and for the last 10 years of her life, she just stayed in this institution. Um, his money paid for, the money paid for her to stay there, which is good. But yeah. It sounds like a pretty bleak existence. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Certainly, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, no one really comes out of that very well. No. Um, so that's horrific, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I didn't really know all of those details, but yeah. that's... Uh, yeah, I got that's a bit caught up in reading it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a slightly, slightly Lizzie Siddle kind of moment. But yeah. yeah. Um, but I think this is, this is yeah. again, shows the, well, it's like, important the strain he was under. Exactly, yeah. It's the confusion that he obviously has being being homosexual in a, in a society that is not... You know, it just expects a certain thing of him, which he yeah. cannot, cannot basically... Cannot basically uh, yeah, meet the expectation. Mm-hmm. The other, the only, the one sort of, shall we say, bright spark in it yeah. is that he did, then, because of this, effectively um, accepted homosexuality. Yeah. Um, and he's basically realised that, you know, being married, loving women clearly wasn't for him. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, that's quite. Yeah, it's quite nice in some ways because he's no longer quite late that he realised this. But yeah, yeah, yeah sure. But I mean, yeah. it's it, in some ways it's quite nice for his. Because I can't imagine it's a nice situation to be in for effectively no. hating yourself or not being sure about yourself and who you're no, attracted to. Yeah. And some, you know, from a personal level, him, it's quite must be must be very liberating to realise the fact that you know, this is who I am, kind of thing, mm. um, and therefore be released from that burden. Yeah, you know, it's a small bright spark, but it's bright spark nonetheless. I think. Yeah, um, so it must be just genuinely dreadful in those times yeah. to be gay and not like it. Um, I, yeah, funny enough, as I was saying earlier, this is actually still quite controversial because I think Soviet. Oh, communist Russia, Soviet historians actually, and actually Russia now, I think. Yeah. Supposedly, uh, it sort of tries to cover this up that he was actually they homosexual. Do. Yeah, I think we're, uh, we're going to come out of the legacy, or, aren't we? But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's, it's quite quite strange. Well, it's not strange, I guess. It's just, uh, um, yeah. But should we difficult talk, for him? Yeah. So after those two women, should we talk about the third big woman in his life? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, we should. Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay, so this is kind of like. It's a bit of a brighter spot, brighter bit of him to begin with. Um, how would you say this, by the way? Nadezhda. Nadezhda. Yeah. Cool. I, I uh, tried to uh, find a pronunciation online again. Nice. So, so, I'm going to go Nadezhda. That's so we could be Nadezhda. Nadezhda. No, Nadezhda. Um, I used various different sources for this, but De- Nadezhda von Meck, yeah. mm-hmm. um, who was the widow of a, uh, well, an engineer who became wildly rich from investing in the railways yeah. during a boom period, which is Re- 
Absolutely massive. Railway tycoon yeah. and multi-millionaire. Yeah, <laughs> multi-zillionaire. Yeah. But the interesting um, thing about her is actually she was integral to him becoming a millionaire. Yeah, no, exactly. Cause yeah, yeah, because he, he was just like, wasn't he, in, he was like a civil servant for years yeah. and did nothing. He was a kind of a petty German, not petty, as in like he, he was not petty as in he was just petite. really... I know, yeah, yeah, I it, so, yeah. yeah, and he was like, he's low level, he wasn't just like a mean person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Some petty boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was, you know, he was basically effectively, his talent wasn't being recognised in his native land of, 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 of you know, German, yeah. the German principalities. Yeah. And she persuaded him, like, oh, in my native Russia, um, there's a great opportunity in terms of the railway because it's huge and no one can get around. Yeah. Let's go there and invest in the railway bubble. Um, yeah. And then he did, and he became massively wealthy. Yeah. Uh, and when he died, he left her with control of his finances and the management of his railway and investment empire. Yeah. Uh, she was big into the arts, um, so she gave financial support to our old friend, the Russian Musical Society, and various Russian musicians. I think basically anyone who's anyone in Russia um, in the musical scene gets her support of some yeah. areas. And then, like Ruben, Ruben, Rubenstein, yeah. Rubenstein, Rubenstein's in there. Yeah, um, both the Debussy's in there as well. Yes, yeah, so, the, uh, the future French huge. pianist yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is this is a bit. Where I, put, I wrote this in the margin at the time because I was obviously feeling a bit zany. But, um, <laughs> basically, it was like a sort of Miss Havisham situation where she was like always oh, like great expectations and Tchaikovsky as Pip basically. Yeah. But they're nice in Miss Havisham. It doesn't like psychologically undermine him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well. I mean, yeah, I guess so, but she is a bit w- bit weird. She is, don't you think? Um, I mean, she doesn't psychologically undermine him, but... Um, she's very supportive of him. She's yeah, like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then she doesn't have, like, a... Yeah. But, but she does, like, randomly stop. But anyway, yeah, so... Um, we'll, we'll come on to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, obviously I'm fully aware that the actual grace, uh, the actual benefactor is not Miss Anderson, but, you know, she's, she lived alone, she's imperious... Sort of, instead of instead of meeting her relatives and their family, she sort of summoned them like she was some kind mm-hmm. of emperor, so empress of some kind, and obviously uh, gave away lots of money. But anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, what am I doing? Yes, <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing, so I don't know what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, okay, so um, yeah, he, she, as you said, she's quite leads quite a solitary life after her husband's death, and mm. she kind of preferred more intimate chamber music uh, in her in her home as opposed yeah. to the to the theatre. So she'd invite kind of musicians to come and play music for her or and she would sort of instruct and you know take part in the sort of composition of these pieces and obviously yes. to this, for this to happen she wanted a sort of supply of fresh music to play these more smaller pieces yeah. and so eventually she worked her way through to um, Tchaikovsky mm-hmm. she was recommended him in around 1877 yeah. as a person who could provide this music for her sort of coterie of intimate musicians yes. um, and so in 1877 she begins this um basically exchange of letters yeah. and um, eventually money as well yeah. um, for his work. An enormous amount. Of huge amount of money, so yeah. It's like, this is basically, I mean, I, I, I know obviously we're sort of like, you know, poor Tchaikovsky, blah, 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 but in terms of money, from 1877 onwards, he has absolutely zero problem whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, he does completely. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so when, you know, she gives him a stipend, or whatever yeah. you want to call it, of 6,000 rubles a year. Yeah, so which this, is like, which is, uh, gone. This is, as you said, when we were talking about his wife, this is a vast amount of yeah, money. Yeah, this is insane. Her. It allowed him to leave his it's, role for the... 20 times what you'd expect to, what he was, you know, presumably earning as a, some, uh, low, you know, a lowly sort of servant. Yeah, basically what, he, yeah, what his family wanted for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so this allowed him to leave his teaching post in the Moscow Conservatory, which he didn't particularly like anyway, and basically allowed him to focus completely on... Um, Composing Composing and being being the man kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) The man of the hour. Yeah. Um, Hero of the hour. 
And so, so kind of this is this is an important relationship for him financially, obviously, but also quite psychologically yes, as well because yeah. it's a huge outlet for him because she's very understanding in her in her their correspondence. She's very understanding to all his views. It's a very wide ranging correspondence touches on by all facets of um, both his personality and her personality. Yeah, and they are very kind of supportive of each other. And you know, this kind of shows um, after his fifth symphony was criticised she encouraged him to go back to it yes. and go back to work and not like basically yeah. take it personally yeah. he dedicated his fourth symphony to her but secretly so he dedicated yeah, yeah. him as basically his best friend yeah yeah, 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 yeah which is yeah, quite yeah, nice yeah. Um, I think they had a, they had a discuss, I think they had a discussion by letter on yeah. the 1200 letters that yeah. went between them uh, about what you know what, what he should she should be referred to as or you know, something like this like, mm. if and, I'm your friend then dedicate it to your best friend yeah and I think yeah, this the reason they wrote so many letters to each other was because one of the basic like, pillars of this money and stuff going to him was that they would never meet. Yeah. I think partially a view of her sort of increasing isolation, solitary life yeah. Yeah. was that also there's um, other things about she had idealised him in her head that she didn't yeah. want to then be disappointed by him, that type of thing. <laughs> um, she literally had great expectations of him. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but either way, there was like, there was one, he didn't even meet when her son married his niece. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. Um, but there was one element where they did come, they did have like an interaction. It was scheduled to me, wasn't it? Or well, this is it. They, well, everything went a bit wrong. So yeah. like, Tchaikovsky set off a bit earlier in his usual walk um, through a park and she set off a bit later in her carriage drive through the park um, and then they crossed paths by accident effectively um, and he tipped his hat to her and then walked on and they didn't exchange any words. Um, would they have recognised each other? Though? Well, this is it. They would have done because they're um, not mentioning one of the letters. I all saw you today. The yeah. Well, they they, they, they recognised each other because Tchaikovsky had seen it every day when he was staying in Florence. Yeah. Um, she had like an entourage of people and walked past to the, the villa he was staying in every yeah. day, so he recognised her, and I think yeah. she recognised him because he was his growing fame. People knew what he looked like yeah. and that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but either way, they didn't exchange any words. And there was one other point where they apparently saw each other at the opera. And um, then quickly left without saying anything. Apparently, this is the one apparently may have been staged by her to see him. Uh, was right. like see him in his like natural yeah. habitat kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no one's quite sure whether it is or not. But like yeah. that was the only other time when they actually saw each other in in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you you mentioned earlier, obviously, she cut off. Well, I, I, what I was going to say was was um he they they sort of engineered uh, the marriage of his um sorry uh, her son and his niece. Yeah. Um, which which is which yeah, I thought that's that's sort of yeah. savage mess because sort of like you know engineering people's relationships and all this kind of stuff. But maybe that's a bit. Uh, no one cares. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. And then in and then in uh, in eighteen ninety, just uh, suddenly decided to stop paying him money. Yeah, I mean, which is not a big deal because from eighteen eighty four, he had a pension from Alexander the. Yeah, uh, raking it in. Yeah, it's like just like absolutely fabulously wealthy yeah. at this point. Um, Makes his. Um, yeah. Constant not paying his wife much, very much, not yeah. <laughs> yeah. or inconsistently yeah. not exactly his yeah. shining out. But anyway, yeah. that was interestingly one of the reasons potentially behind her cutting off of the, the money. Really? So obviously, from his point of view, effectively, he just received a letter saying that she had to stop the money, yeah. and therefore she felt that she had to cut off the correspondence as well. She mm. there was money with it, um, and it came instead of just by normal post. It came with one of her a sort of trusted valet footman type yeah. character so obviously <laughs> it was kind of out of the ordinary that way but from his point it just ceased yeah. and there was no his subsequent letters went unanswered he was never given a full explanation as to what happened yeah. but the financial support from the Tsar is quite important in this yeah. because effectively what happened was her children stopped her from giving him the money 
um, because they, for re various reasons, become worried about it. One was the fact that he was receiving quite a lot of money from the Tsar, yeah. and they thought, why is he still taking our mother's money yeah. when he's also now 3, financially, 000, yeah, when, he, when he's now like yeah. financially sound from this other point, from literally the highest man of that. Yeah, why yeah, is yeah. he still taking money off yeah. our mother? Equally, you know, that's our inheritance he's taking. Yeah, kind yeah. of thing. The other point was they were worried that um, she was actually running out of money. Um, yeah. So they intervened at that point because, like, one, you're giving money to a man who's got loads of money already now. The Tsar <laughs> yeah. supporting. Why are you still supporting yeah. him? You're spending our inheritance and you're running out of money. Later, yeah. transpired you weren't actually running out of money. They yeah. mis misunderstood the situation. Um, Couldn't count. Yeah, yeah basically. Uh, the other point was her eldest son had been taken very ill, so she had to spend more time nursing him. And equally, she was then almost like, 100% dedicated on him and mm. focusing him rather on all her other projects yeah, 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 and yeah. She, so she lapsed in everything else yeah. also she was ill so though she was too ill to write regularly she yeah. had pneumonia and was very ill um, obviously pneumonia is quite a big killer at this point yes um, and yeah so she so, was in, in Russia as well it's yeah it's not, it's, not, it's, no, it's not exactly the warmest country yeah. tropical, tropical exotic country in the world so. and so like this like this sort of so massive reasons of her being ill yeah. her eldest son being ill her children not being happy about her giving money to this sort of this composer who yeah. seems to now just be yeah, taking so advantage of her. Now the, yeah. the great unwitting, yeah. Russia, sort of like un unwittingly taking, because I don't think he was actually milking a dry or anything. Like, no. He pretty clearly got psychological support from her as well. But I think from their perspective, I think, like, I think why is he giving a lot of money? Yeah, I mean, he obviously just considered her to be like one of his most... Uh, yeah, clearly. I mean, he did Biggest fan, yeah, um, most appreciated fans, I guess. Or yeah, and also like, probably yeah. more than that, because like, the huge amount, yeah, partnership, because like, the huge amount of letters on all this, he clearly respected her views yeah. and stuff like that. And also he didn't have that many friends anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is the, literally his best friend just yeah. disappearing yeah. completely. So it must have been quite a big shock to him. Yeah. You know, um, and that was 1890, October yeah. 1890, um, that that happened. So 14 years just ends very suddenly. Yeah. And I think the, it's been read into the point that she sent her footman who was one of her most trusted servants with the money shows this may have been kind of like a way of sneaking around her family to get her last bits to him bit yeah. of money to him yeah. in that way so I think she I don't know exactly but I feel like she was kind of more like railroaded into it yeah to give rather than uh, <laughs> rather than being wanting to give it up yeah, uh, yeah no. either way it must have been quite a blow to him at the yeah, time because yeah. it's you know said Best friend, patron. Well, be best friend, and also another. By the way, another mother figure. Potentially out there. Potentially, yeah. um, potentially, but um, yeah. So yeah, and then, and then so he was like, he was like this wild celebrity. Yeah. Right? So yeah, eighteen ninety is like he is the he is the man kind yeah. of thing. And we've had these you know these three Easter Russia, three big three three big women in his life. Yeah. Um, Spano, um basically hated wife and trusted patron and yeah. friend. Patron and friend. But yeah, yeah. moving on from the the big three. To the other big three. I think yeah. I want to talk about three of his three of his major works. His great works. In. I mean, I, 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 so yeah. So while we're at the pinnacle of his career, I suppose it's quite a good time to look back over what 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 this what his career entailed, what he accomplished, what he was doing, it kind of thing. What what he was what he was making music. And now the first one, which I'm going to talk about, well, which we're going to talk about, <laughs> <We're> dictator film, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, is uh, is the Nutcracker, which is uh, written in 1892. So this is kind of like. It's his final ballet. Autumn years kind of thing, yeah. Uh, his, yeah, exactly, his final ballet. And it was not, not. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it's now wild, sort of wildly successful. It is the Christmas ballet, mm -hmm. I think. Would you agree? Completely, yeah. Yeah. Um, said although at the time, everyone was like, you know, what is this yeah. rubbish? I think it um, kind of suffered because of the staging one, I think. 
Which because, quite, it's quite a zany play. It's quite well, trippy, isn't it? It is, but I think the, the issue wasn't so much with his music. Um, right. It was yeah. with how the choreographers and the stages actually put it together. Right. So at one point, it, was, it didn't help that it was like sandwiched into a double bill with his last opera. So like the main bit of the Nutcracker appeared, like the main ballerina of the Nutcracker, yeah. Chico Bonferri, appeared at midnight. So everyone was a bit jaded by that point anyway. Yeah. Um, and they had to sit through a whole opera. Yeah. And then the first half of the Nutcracker. You say sit then, through. I mean, yeah. it was not, not doing anything else. But yeah, I know, yeah, but like, yeah. it's quite a draining thing yeah. to do. And then the... For some reason, the choreographer wanted the children's parts to be played by children, by as, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I don't think helped in the actual execution of it. Yeah, yeah. They all, the, the actual staging of like the fight scene between the Mouse King and everything was done. <laughs> it just see, so seems good. to be like people shoving yeah. each other and running around by the, the reviews. And so his kind of music got a bit lost in the whole thing, yeah. um, which is a bit sad from at the time. But um, Now they've sort of yeah. affected it and it's nice and shiny. And yeah, it's kind of, and people are more accessing because I, children I, aren't involved in it. I think, I think that the, the, that the, the magic about it, I think, actually from a person, completely personal perspective, is that it is quite... Uh, because the play is... Uh, sorry, the, the uh, story is so... Um, so zany, basically. Mm. And it, do you know what I mean? Like, Mouse kings and, yeah, and, and soldiers and coming and to soldiers life. Soldiers coming to life yeah. and, um, and um, gingerbread men as well. Yeah. Um, so I forgot about um, Also, fun fact... Do you know what a rat king is? Is, is, so this, the, is, this, is this the actual... Because I know of a, a term of rat king, but I'm not totally sure if it's the one I'm about to say because it's definitely not ballet related. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah. Oh, in my term, the rat king is where loads of them get their tails like yeah. used together. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. always felt mildly sick of that. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty horrific. And it's actually sort of um, supposed to be just some like, mythical kind of thing and that the yeah. mouse king, or the rat king rather, can control all the rats and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I thought it was interesting that this kind of terminology had passed into this play. And apparently the original mouse king in the original... Oh, sorry, in this, in this ballet rather. Yeah. Um, and the original uh, mouse king in the original story... Was actually a rat king. Oh really? With multi, with, with multi- yeah, in this kind of bizarre sort of tail tied situation, and like magical powers. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty zany. Sounds horrific. Yeah, it's, it's pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, as as with all these things, when you sort of delve into the background behind the you know the fairy tale or whatever, mm. uh, they are pretty horrific. Pretty, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, I mean, if, obviously, if you want a full want full ballet, you'll have to go and actually see it. Is it like, actually interesting? Although I'm not like the like the world's greatest Tchaikovsky aficionado at the moment yeah. maybe one day but, um, <laughs> yeah. um, this actually has my favourite bit of his music in it and it's to use a technical term the pas de deux uh, which um, is at the start of act two which okay. is the sugar very dancing with the prince the one's like da, 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 right. and it like, oh, yeah. and it, like rises to a crescendo oh, that's my favourite bit. bit of music that he's yeah. done because it's like starts off quite in gender and then becomes epic throughout it <clears throat> that's my favourite bit of it um, do you know what my favourite bit of it which bit can you guess is it the fight scene? No, uh, well, um, uh, no, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if there are some, some bits. But, so, What's the Flowers, which <laughs> uh, obviously uses our theme yeah. tune, uh, is obviously in this, right, in that so exact yeah. ballet. So, uh, there you go. You can see we've always been messing with You're brand loyal. Indeed. Yeah. Um, so, we go on to uh, the second one, which we've chosen. Yeah. Which one are we doing? Uh, back I was going to say the 1812 Overture. The 1812 Overture, which is probably, again, one of the most famous. It's probably, I think, probably the individual pieces. Yeah. piece of music is probably the most famous that he's done. Yeah. Even if people don't know it's Tchaikovsky, they know the piece of music. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which, which <laughs> apparently banged down in about six months, uh, six weeks. Rather. Yeah. So it's like his, his like the fastest thing he's ever done. He obviously wasn't really that bothered by it either. He was like, it's gonna be noisy and loud, and it's we gonna... hated it. He's like, I don't, yeah. I don't do festival pieces. Or yeah. <laughs> well, he obviously does because he yeah. just did it. Yeah. But, um, ironically, uh, I think that's that's actually quite common for artists to suddenly. Mm find that the the bit that they most 
hated or just just did sort of casually in an afternoon yeah is actually one of the most I think it's like pieces, yeah. sometimes the, you know actors have to do like a one for the agent kind of thing yeah. just because like a big film that gets them loads of money but yeah. they don't they actually hate it because it's something like a like a yeah. ridiculous action film that they yeah. just like feel themselves dying inside doing yeah but then they can do like Shakespeare or something afterwards yeah exactly they've supported themselves it's, it's, that. The, it's the money yeah. maker basically yeah basically and, and this is apparently rest. the thing that makes that the made the Tchaikovsky estate the like the wealthy powerhouse that it was this wow. this for this this piece yeah and it was obviously 1812 was obviously written to commemorate the defeat of Napoleon yes. by Russia and it was first performed in a big tent outside the Cathedral of Christ the Saviour yes. which is just near the Kremlin which is completed yeah, which, and 1880 was, yeah apparently it's the tallest orthodox cathedral in the world um, also completed in honour of the, the victory yeah. so it kind of all knits together there yeah. and then it became like massive worldwide as well didn't it yes. um, because it was played at the inauguration of Carnegie Hall in America yeah. which linking back Tchaikovsky had left work on the Nutcracker to go and um, conduct at nice. um, in the 1890s all fits it all fits together yes. <laughs> um, we don't just throw this stuff together yeah. <laughs> and then afterwards apparently, to be prepared for yeah, yeah. apparently also becomes like the backing music to fireworks displays on Independence Day in America yeah. as well. Well, and also uh, inexplicably, uh, well, first of all, it tends to be sort of if you have a sort of slightly more traditional firework display out in the countryside, you'll get eight and twelve, which gets thrown in for a good measure. And also on every classical music CD ever created, um, you know, it's on there. So, yeah. Yeah. Apparently now the cannons are often either recordings or drums. Apparently it's eighteen cannons or something like that. <clears throat> yeah, but I'm not keen on the cannons. I actually quite like them because okay. we're using like well, why yeah. do we have like who else cannons in it and stuff <laughs> yeah. apparently you can, you can never use like the um, the no um, sort of rendition of it is trying to use 18th 19th century cannons um, as as the backing anymore because they're yeah. just horrifically accurate and in, inaccurate to yeah. do it to do on time so yeah, you have bet. to use either yeah. modern artillery yeah. or recordings or drums <laughs> <laughs> it must have, it must have surprisingly uh, yeah I mean I wonder how they do that live century i think they just use drums and they right, like yeah. or like you know, right, whatever yeah, or just maybe yeah. a man shout down <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah i think they must have had to use drums because like you couldn't have just wheeled 18 artillery pieces onto the stage no. and start firing them over the audience well, i don't know i mean they, they have quite a lot of you know it's not this is you know the coronation of the czar and the completion of christ the savior and all this kind of i mean all that you know this is like the, the the apex of the czarist russian it is extravaganza is not they probably got 18 I mean, they probably would have done, but where would you put them? Like, because yeah, like, like, yeah. this is like in the middle of <coughs> Moscow, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Like you, you fire one where you can hear the cathedral fire, the other way you can hear the Kremlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where do you put? Or maybe they fire blank. Is there such a thing as a blank? And I don't know. Well, maybe you would do. You could, you could, you could just fire a blank, and you could just load it with nothing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what they did. Yeah. Or um, answering any question. Anyway, that's the eighteen twelve overture. Yeah. Tchaikovsky hated it. But it did well. Yeah. So I'm oh, not cracking. Tchaikovsky liked it. Did badly. But then. Rehabilitated and yeah. um, became um, widely critically acclaimed. Well, critically acclaimed, but popularly successful. Yeah. Um, and then my favourite one, which is uh, his very first ballet, Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. Again, again, it had... again, it initially failed, but then now is again one of the most popular of his. Yeah, and again, ballets. it has kind of root, like roots in Germanic yes. kind of yeah. uh, fairy tales, doesn't it? Yeah, That's where yeah. he got his. Again, maybe this is like showing his. His dual sides of he's he's creating a exactly. big you know Russian work of art, but he's delving into Western mm-hmm. mythology to get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, and uh, funny enough, actually, um, which might link to link through to a future episode. It's supposed to be based on the life of Ludwig II, oh, yeah. the, the Swan King. Yeah, the Swan King. 
it's, and uh, was premiered at the Bolter Ballet in eighteen seventy seven. It's quite interesting because in this one he got very basic instructions from yeah. the from the choreographer in terms of putting the score together. Yeah. But in the Nutcracker he got very very specific instructions from the composer from the choreographer. So kind of the the two sides to putting a ballet together. Yeah. You, know, you have to work with choreographer, but you also get different yeah. types. So it's interesting to see who actually asserts the most kind yeah. of creative control over the score is it yeah. himself is it the and, and also whether whether the other will step in if the other if the if you know whether the first partner will step in if the second partner is being too you know loose or you mm. know, like isn't doing enough to structure yeah. the yeah you know, whatever well this yeah. is this yeah. actually did actually happen in yeah. Antoine because exactly, yeah, the choreographer really... didn't like it and yeah. so he started putting other bits of music in yeah and Tchaikovsky was like what the hell are you doing and, <laughs> um, like you will dance so it's whether you think they're undanceable or not and so eventually they did yeah um, they made it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they they made them. Um, funnily enough, actually, Swan Lake is actually really. That's like, is that my favourite one? And it's actually, the music is much more dark. Yeah, you know, Nutcracker is quite well, generally a lot happier. But you know, obviously there's drama in there, but it's a lot happier. It's quite dark. Yeah. Do you want to give an overview of to the plot? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, they. It's quite interesting one actually because the original ballet is very different to how Tchaikovsky's score and the story actually had it. So. Various roles changed between the from eighteen sort of eighteen nineties. It was it was brought back after Tchaikovsky's death, and they rewrote quite a lot of the story and the music to go with it. So we, what we hear now isn't what Tchaikovsky initially wrote, um, which is quite a weird one. But the story is in broad sweeps. <laughs> you have a prince as always. Um, he sees these sort of swans, and they follow them to their lake, the Swan Lake, and then they turn into women effectively, hmm. and they've been cursed by either in the original. It's I think the stepmother of uh, one of the swans, the Adet, who's like the main swan, mm. um, or in, later on it's an evil magician, uh, like an owlish, an owl. I think he's represented often by. Um, yeah. And then um, there's this kind of like fight between everyone. He, his mother wants him to marry one of these other princesses. He says no, I want to marry the swan woman. Mm. And then um, things obviously go bad because it's based on German fairy tale. Yeah. Um, and um, at the end, in Tchaikovsky's version, the stepmother drowns them both. And in the new version that we mainly see today, um, the swan, uh, Odette dies, suicide, commits suicide, yeah, and, yeah, and then he basically yeah. says, I'm not going to live without you, and dies, and, yeah, well. expires. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as you said, very dark, very bleak, yeah. um, and very changed. But, 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 but yeah, I mean, it, it does sound very depressing, but it's actually dramatic in a way that I didn't think I yeah. was ready for when I first saw it. It's pretty mm-hmm. wild. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's definitely <clears throat> more sort of... Somber. Uh, it's somber, oh. it's more kind of like grown up than the Nutcracker because yeah, Nutcracker definitely. as I said it's the, it's the Christmassy one so it's yeah. kind of light hearted and also the second half of Nutcracker is basically just a series of dances yeah, yeah, without yeah. much of a story it's to them um, yeah. whereas this one's kind of like a story all the way through yeah. I mean to be honest when I was first watching it my girlfriend had to explain what's going on because I had no idea yeah. um, oh what's on that yeah because yeah. I was like what, what, what's going on like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who's this guy and then it's like what's he dancing about is he angry that, 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 that might be uh, just ballet in general yeah, no, it is like you mean. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I think you need to like know what's going on before you start. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's that, really. That's the three main ones, really. Well, Swan Lake, as we said, it didn't get such terrible reviews as the Nutcracker to begin with. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't like greeted uproariously, but it went on the initial stage, initial staging, initial score went on for about six years and forty-one stagings, which is quite. <laughs> Quite a big. I mean, it was six years long. Okay, it's quite a big yeah. number for um, a sort of moderately well-reviewed uh, yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, but then the eighteen ninety revival of it and the changing around of the various bits, they cut some acts out and stuff like that. And then the one we have today has just grown and grown out of the Nutcracker. Yeah. So the stuff it's just now become 
the big bit yes. of the ballet. Interesting thing I was reading about is that kind of Tchaikovsky revolutionised a bit what ballet was about. So before him, it was very much kind of like a, a light throwaway entertainment piece, which right. I think is why, yeah. partially why his final one, The Nutcracker, was sandwiched after the opera. The opera was kind of like the big dramatic, uh, dramatic thing, and then yeah. the ballet afterwards is kind of like the light hearted and yeah. light entertainment, but he brought in with it. Um, these big feelings and the song, like yeah. huge emotional crescendos drama. and emotional yeah. drama and actual drama yeah. within ballet. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because he also didn't like ballet music to begin with. He thought it was kind of like, again, frivolous and throwaway. But yeah. Then yeah. when he started looking at it, he realised he could actually inject these emotions yeah. into it, which is clearly what he did with his, yeah. with his ballet. I think, I think uh, this is actually um, almost symptomatic of what the music was like in Russia before he started getting involved with yeah. it. Because uh, I think he said the same about opera mm. very early on. It was like, Opera music is just uh, crap in Russia, basically. It's just kind of like, what was the point? But then, again, he, he put his hand to it and became yeah. um, injected drama and emotion and whatever, yeah. I think, just rounding off those three, yes. obviously they're just three of his pieces, but he was just he was just prolific in so many different types yeah. of music and so many varieties of it. So, obviously, he did three ballets, did 11 operas, six symphonies, then ob- huge numbers of concertos, concert pieces, which apparently, apparently hated, uh, especially con- especially commissioned orchestral pieces like 1812, incidental music for plays, piano pieces, chamber music, horror yes. music, and also, as we've mentioned with his, his um, soprano he tried to marry, um, just one-off songs as well. So, yes. I mean, he was literally across almost basically every type of music that was around yeah. in the late century. He had a hand in, he yeah. did, yeah. he tried out, uh, he didn't, like you know, there's often a, a range that he didn't wasn't great at all of them not mm. all of his pieces are great but I mean you can't be great at everything yeah. and you know the very fact that he could get his head around all oh. these different types of music yeah. is kind of testament to his skill yeah. I think yeah. Um, yeah. and I think you know it's just kind of like wherever you go you're almost always, always at the tip of the iceberg yeah. uh, with Tchaikovsky yeah. there's so much more underneath yeah. it in terms of his output but yeah yeah did you want to uh, I suppose we should round the episode off with his sort of how how he died and his sort of demise, I guess. Yeah, his demise legacy, and then a bit of it on his legacy, I think. Um, which uh, is kind of quite, quite controversial because it's sort of nine days after his, after the premiere of his Sixth Symphony in 1893. Yeah. In October 1893. This is uh, only under a year after the premiere of The Nutcracker as well. Yeah. So November 1892, Nutcracker premieres, as you said, October 1903 yeah. is when the Sixth Symphony comes out and yeah. then... December, November 1893 is when he dies. Okay, right, yeah. Um, sense, yeah. Early November, I think. And then, and there are sort of three three possible options you can choose. For, yeah, to three die. options. Yeah. First one is... Well, the, should, we do, should we do the quick... The the timeline of what happened? Yeah, sure. Very quickly. So effectively, after the Sixth Symphony um, was out and about, he'd gone back to Moscow. He was living with, I think, his, his brother and his nephew. Mm. Um, he went. They went for a late dinner at a restaurant. Yeah. Came back. Then he got ill. Um, he had diarrhea, vomiting, weakness in the chest, and abdominal pains brother summoned a doctor who summoned another doctor who happened to be the doctor's brother um, who then diagnosed him um, as having Asiatic cholera mm. uh, then the doctor just left town effectively um, and two more were brought in but he gradually got worse and worse um, interestingly the one thing that seemed to work to fend off cholera was to put the patient in a very hot bath mm. but the family didn't want to do this because Tchaikovsky's mother had died of cholera in the bath so they right. didn't want to basically tempt fate by putting him in a bath yeah. as well um, although uh, given that it's actually quite a popular cholera cure I mean it's not like the cholera it's not like putting him in the bath yeah no, I I mean, a, basically that's I the reason they held back from doing it it's a kind of superstitious kind yeah. of thing isn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean it's not like a tr- like a, a definite cure for him I'm sure yeah. I would have done it but that's apparently the 
Pitts and the Simpsons, but that's right. the reason they yeah. didn't do it is because they didn't want to take fate by yeah. his mother, yeah. by basically following what his mother did. Either way, he died. Um, his body then lay in state yeah. um, for people to come and pay their respects. Yeah. Um, Alexander the, the Third said that the crown will meet all the expenses for this, you know, <laughs> the death of this, you know, yeah. this man will be yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, superstar. Yeah, um, and if, but as you said. Um, Although there's a huge outpouring of grief, and potentially actually this outpouring of grief actually um, played into the fact that there's so many different, well, there's a few different varieties of why how yeah. he died. Yeah. Um, obviously, the accepted one was that he had drunk on boiled water, which is a kind of hard and fast way to get to cholera yeah. if you're if you're in Russia at the time. Yeah, funny, um, yeah. funny enough, some 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 uh, some parts of Russia now actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's why I'm my vodka was a kind of preferred uh, of um, a preferred drink. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. He drank unboiled water out of the restaurant and at his house, effectively. Yeah. Um, and that's the, it was the accepted view. Yeah. But partially because everyone was feeling down and very upset about him dying, mm. um, all these kind of theories started springing up about, yeah. you know, other options. Was it cholera or yeah. was it? Do you want to run through a few? Well, I think, I think there are three, three possible options. The first one is cholera. Yeah. Died of cholera. Inexplicably, yeah. after an entire life of not drinking unboiled water. Well, apparently, he did, he did drink it. Oh, did he did that quite often. Okay, not fine. often, but he was known for right, doing right. it, kind of like almost like a devil may care right. kind yeah. of thing. Is um, it quite, yeah, it was a sort of slightly hedonistic, nihilist mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. Um, second uh, is that he was committing suicide. Or third, that he was assassinated, so he was murdered. Forced to it. Yeah, or, or, yeah, or, or forced to commit suicide, I guess, yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know where you wanted to start, but I just wanted to say the cholera. Th- I mean, this is okay. To make clear, obviously we're not making any kind of judgment here because we can yeah. only speculate. But the um, on on the things that we yeah. highlighted and the, from the, from what we know. Yeah, and the, the accepted view from historians seems to be cholera. Yeah, is that is that is the default like standard, to lay out yeah. That's the standard, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But then then cholera the, the cholera killed him within days, which is quite unusual, uh, and um, that that doesn't seem to have any kind of. No, nobody seems to find that strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, and the second one is that there is uh, sort of consistent, you know, the, the way that his coffin was, for instance, it wasn't sealed like you would mm-hmm. with a cholera victim to stop the spread of the disease, um, or at least what they thought of at the time. Um, so it's there's a few questions. Potentially some kind of it, yeah. poisoning kind of going on there. Mm-hmm. And then there was an, a third one, which was that the I don't know if you want me to talk about some yeah, the, the other yeah. basically the, uh, a very prominent duke. Uh, within Russia, complained to the Tsar that Tchaikovsky had a um, slightly uh, undignified association with, yeah, essentially grooming uh, his nephew, um, this Duke's nephew, uh, complained to the Tsar about this. And the Tsar formed some kind of high council which decided that, uh, well, either forced Tchaikovsky to uh, um, take his own life or, or Murdered him basically. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's very much a. Conspiracy. It seems to be a, a wild much a theory, theory of yeah. conspiracy. It seems to be a wild theory because I mean, like every all the all the um, pointers seem to be that the imperial he had the support of the imperial court at yes. that point, and yeah. um, there was although as we mentioned earlier, it wasn't like yeah. ex- like homosexual homosexuality wasn't like you know, the done thing yeah. in Russia at the time. There was a quite permissive Series attitude to it yeah. at at the imperial court. Yeah. Um, and equally, when he died, in the if you look through the papers of the the various grand dukes and the Tsar himself, there was a kind of like very a shock, surprise, and you know, yeah, horror that he had died. So yeah. Yeah. it doesn't seem to be that particularly doesn't seem to be supported by the evidence. So it's difficult, um, isn't it? I mean, it is difficult. Uh, as you, uh, yeah, because as we said, it, it, yeah. 
and, and it, none of them make sense because no, yeah. on the one hand that's the, that's the widest yeah, thing, yeah. Is it? so the, the first is the, yeah just, just for the listeners just to summarise for the listeners the first of all obviously the cholera the cholera took effect very quickly if it was cholera secondly if he killed himself why would he kill himself now when he's obviously on such a high from his well I assume such a high from his uh, two, two great successes of his most recent work mm. um, and uh, thirdly why would, why would the establishment which of which he was basically there sort of idle at this point mm. want to murder him so yeah, yeah oh, the, the interesting like kind of round off as well from it as yeah. well is about the sixth symphony yeah. there's like a, there's another conspiracy theory about that, <laughs> that symphony itself because effectively at the time when it was first played everyone thought this is this is well not everyone but there was a, a strain of thought even before he died this mm. is effectively a suicide note in music wow. because it's so there's so, parts of it are so bleak and down and downcast and sort of you know just bleak effectively yeah, and wow. you know, one of apparently one of his friends actually was like what have you done you've written a requiem um, yeah. for yourself effectively yeah. so I mean again it may be that you know the large part of it is literally just sort of read back when you know he died just after the Sixth Symphony so that people are projecting it onto it but yeah, it was yeah. even before he died kind of like a bit of a unease about the six parts of the Sixth Symphony at least uh, yeah. but equally you know suicide doesn't exactly hold true because it's you know it was he was planning another tour of Europe yeah. uh, he'd recently kind of got over his dislike of being a composer and realised yeah, he actually yeah. was good at it and he could do it and he was, you know, it was a way of actually getting out there and he was, yeah. he was planning another tour so yeah, clearly yeah. why would he, as you said, why would he kill himself at this point? It yeah. doesn't really make sense and he'd had a success with this yeah. so again, even if it was down, why would he be killing himself? Yeah, it's, it's all very uh, murky and obviously yeah. quite an insight into his mind that we do not have. Yeah. Um, and he was 53 as well. Yeah. Uh, which was, I suppose, quite old. It's a decent life. I mean, I suppose he, he would be expected to live longer, I think, wouldn't he? Yeah. Even I still think for his place, as it was, wealthy, yeah, wealthy man, sort of, was yeah I suppose actually. like even if you know it is all for the time, but I still think he yeah. would have had a and he was still seemingly active, yes. by his like tours and everything yeah. like that. So yeah. it, I don't know, either way, strange cut short and yeah, potential prime. But do you want to, as running off, do you want to talk a little bit about his legacy? Because I mentioned we touched on over his Soviet, historian yes, and and so, yeah, I mean, his, his legacy essentially is that he, um, well, this is my very short summary, yeah, <laughs> very brief summary, um, is that basically he, he um, He's sort of world famous for his um, for very prominent um, song well, songs and ballets and also some of his uh, other works. Um, but but his his sort of personal life is shrouded in a certain type of mystery mm. because uh, first of all the czar czar uh, czarist regime of Russia and then obviously the, the Soviet regime uh, tried to keep quiet that he was actually gay. Yeah, I mean they completely suppressed it as well as other as well yeah. as other yeah as other as other bits and pieces around yeah. his life were obviously covered up and unclear. Um, so uh, and, and um, yeah, so it's sort of a mix sort of as mm. a record of a great 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 composer whose personal life is slightly shrouded. Yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting that the the whole the Soviet element because they elevated his work to being like you can't question it. Yeah. Also, they just completely suppressed the gay aspects of yeah. his. Of his, of his of his personal life and yeah. said you can't you literally can't do anything about that he wasn't gay yeah you know, just stop asking about it and it's also something that continues on with the current regime yeah because um, the current Russian government also denies that he was yeah. gay yeah, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. there's overwhelming evidence that he was yeah, and you yeah. know it's just it's just interesting dichotomy between the, between the fact they want to extol the virtues of his work but yeah. also deny who he was yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly his own sexuality kind of damaged him in the West as well, um, particularly after the Oscar Wilde trial. Yeah. Um, so after Oscar Wilde was really very publicly put on trial and yeah. humiliated yeah. for being gay, um, there was like a, a strain of sort of criticism and 
way of looking at anyone who was gay in terms of not looking at their talent, but looking at their perceived lack of moral character, right. uh, which then kind of impacted negatively on yeah. uh, Tchaikovsky yeah. because everyone was then looking at his character as opposed to his work and judging yeah. his work by yeah. his character, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Although, um, so he had this weird situation where Russians were focused solely on his work and ignoring his personal life. Yeah. Westerners often went down the route of basically focusing on his personal life as a way of denigrating his work. Yeah. work yeah, so which is interesting. But now, in the West, he basically, in many cases, are probably up there in you know, the cool. very upper yeah, uh, absolutely. Like, yeah. the upper echelons yeah. of composing. I think yeah. you know, his work probably, even if you don't know it's Tchaikovsky, like 1812 Overture and stuff like They're that, quite it's, it's completely yeah. recognisable, even though you don't know who did it. Yeah. You, know the, you know the tune. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Equally, you know, probably after, you know, after Beethoven, yeah, yeah, but we would be able to do that immediately. Do a tune of a Mozart one, but you would be able to do it for the 1812. Maybe you wouldn't yeah. know it. I think maybe maybe only the fifth for Beethoven is the yeah. more recognisable one potentially. Yeah, but yeah, either way, interesting man of different levels. Who kind of yeah. try history is kind of one or the other one's been like suppressed yeah. or ignored. Yeah, throughout yeah, yeah, it. But, yeah. yeah there's, there's an interest in looking at both. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there it is, Tchaikovsky. Um, do you know where we're going to go next? Well, as you meant, we mentioned it briefly, it's the Swan King, didn't we? Oh, the Swan in, King. Into Bavaria. Ludwig II yes. of yes. Bavaria and his, his manic castle building. Yeah. Which promises to be an exciting episode, so catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Footnotes History. If you want more, you can follow our social media posts on at FOH Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. Plus, have you ever wondered what kind of statesman you would be back in the 19th century? Well, now you can find out. Visit the Footnotes of History personality quiz at footnotesofhistory.com slash pmquiz.